Good morning. I want to greet each one in Jesus' name. I've been blessed how the Lord brings services together in topics and in songs and in everything coming to uh, what He directs us. And I guess if we are all in the Word, then the Lord works through His Word. And uh, so I am blessed by that. We want to look to God, what He has for us this morning. Welcome our visitors. Thanks for being here. We're always glad to share our blessings with you. Have a theme verse in Romans chapter 8. Return to it in your Bibles. It's a verse that we can all say by heart, I think. And uh, yet there's parts of it that once in a while just really get our attention or help us to all of a sudden see something. And uh, this is what this verse is, verse 28. Let's say it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. First part of that verse is a comfort to us at many times. And uh, we want to pass over that and actually look at the last part of the verse where it says, To them who are the called according to His purpose. And uh, I love how the Scripture sometimes takes us for a surprise. And uh, when I see those words, it's those that uh, I think we've probably heard ten messages of the first part, and I don't know if we've heard any of the last part. But I was challenged by that. To those who are called, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. And I've entitled the message this morning, His Purpose. And... Uh, You know, we just spend a whole lot more time and we like to look at the things that work together for good. You know, we like to look at that part of it, but do we really have a desire to work according to His purpose? Now, we claim the first part of the verse for ourselves. Do we claim the last part? Do we like to be part of His purpose? Do we enjoy being part of God's uh, serving His purpose? And uh, as we go through life, we would often like to know clearly what His purpose is. We would like to know what is it that God wants us to do? What is it, what is His purpose for our life? And we want to talk about that this morning some. And uh, I'm not sure that after the message here you'll be, have a clear, um, you'll have a clear vision of uh, what God's purpose is for your life. I always said that midlife crisis was something I wasn't going to participate in, and yet there's many decisions to be made at my age, and sometimes I think it's a crisis. And uh, then I remind myself I wasn't going to participate in that. And so the challenge is here for us to understand God's purpose. But this morning I want to look at some examples in Scripture and uh, what we can draw from them, and how we can possibly understand a little bit better God's purpose in our life, or being called according to His purpose, as it says here. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. 
We want to look at our greatest example, our greatest gift, as we heard this morning already. We want to look at what our example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, For his purpose, I would like to add. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So it admonishes us to look unto Jesus, who was our example of following God's purpose in his life. And uh, I underline the the, uh, portions of Scripture in my Bible that have to do with redemption. And in verse 2, For the joy that was set before him, I believe he saw our redemption, he saw our salvation, he saw us saved before the Father, he saw us hoping and waiting for eternal uh, heaven. And uh, that was the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross, despising the shame. And today is at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says again, consider him, look to him. Consider him that endured such contradiction, the the false accusations, the not being accepted of his own people, the Jews, and many other things that happened to him that considered this contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. And so lest we think that we have it tough, we should look at Jesus and what he endured. When he came to the earth in his birth, and when he despised the shame, and when he shed his blood, as it says in verse 4, for the joy that was set before him. It says that ye have not resisted unto blood, unto blood, implying that Jesus did, that Jesus honestly did strive, resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now turn on back to First John chapter three, and having come through this recently in our in our Sunday school, we know that it talked about the love that Jesus has for mankind. And we often pay attention to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. We should. It's salvation in that verse. But what about 1 John 3.16? Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We consider that the greatest act in history that God, that Jesus was willing to lay down his love, his life for us. Hereby perceive we the love of God, it says, because Jesus was willing to do that. And we hold that in, in high esteem. We think that's the greatest thing that has ever done. His love of being, coming down to earth and, and being tempted and, and living amongst us and the pain and the suffering. And even Jesus, I mean, you know, we say Jesus was God's son and he didn't struggle. But if you go to Gethsemane, Jesus had a struggle. If you go to Gethsemane and see that he finally prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. There was a clash of wills there. And he finally said, 
Father, thy will. And he told his disciples, let us rise and be going. And we admire that. And we think of Jesus as the greatest man, and we perceive of the greatest king that of love that God gave. But you notice we didn't finish the verse. It says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We admire Jesus' love for us. Are we willing to do that for the brethren as well? Are we willing to lay down our lives for the brethren? I'd like to look at a few examples of some people that were willing to lay down their lives, in a sense, for the brethren. And I know it's Christmas time and we've looked at Luke chapter 2, but let's go there again. Luke chapter 2, a familiar chapter of Christmas and the beauty of Jesus coming as a baby to earth and uh, being in a manger. And uh, as we have talked about it already, Jesus, we, we consider the manger and the fresh straw and all of those things, and it smells good and neat. But I believe Jesus was born in a smelly, stinky stable. And he had a feed trough with a blanket for him to protect him from the hard uh, surface, whether it was a stone or whether it was wood. But he was willing to come and to to uh, give his life. And at Christmas, we think about the joyous spirit. You can almost feel within uh, the community, you can feel the spirit of people being a little happier. The spirit of Christmas or, or of kindness, the many extras that we go with that. But do we really remember what his purpose was in coming? To be born so that he could die. To be born so he could give us salvation for our redemption. We had uh, the other evening, we had the uh, story of Mary. But I like to think of Mary as fulfilling his purpose. A young girl um, visited by an angel. And uh, I just um, love when uh, um, in, in Luke chapter 1, uh, in, in, in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Now that's the testimony of a young girl following God's purpose. In her life. And if we go down to verse 48, and he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, and uh, she considers herself the handmaid of the Lord, and her willingness to be used. And today we have many people that question the virgin birth. We have people that would contend that with us. And here it is over 2,000 years later. But can you imagine? Can you imagine a young girl that is obviously carrying a child and people ask her about it and she says, well, really, it's from the Lord. We say, we would almost laugh at that, wouldn't we? How much more at that time than what it is now? And she was willing to carry that blame and shame not only for nine months, but for years of claiming that who, what was born of her was the Son of God. 
We accept that today. We believe that it's a, in a sense, a basis of our salvation that the Son of God was born here. But I don't believe everyone did at her. I know they didn't at uh, Jesus' birth. And so Mary, I believed, had to accept his purpose as a way of, of accepting a life of shame, a life of disrespect by other people, and whatever else and all that went with that. So I believe Mary is a terrific example for us of serving his purpose. Secondly, in uh, Luke chapter 2, I believe we have Joseph as fulfilling his purpose. He took Mary to be his wife. He took Mary to be his wife. And uh, I would love I would love to sit down and, and have a talk with Joseph about how all this took place and how it was. You know, they didn't have that wedding ceremony. It doesn't seem like it anyway. That normal Jewish families would, where the groom would go get his bride. But you know, they were Joseph was called to go pay his taxes in person at Bethlehem. And uh, he took his wife along. He took Mary along. And uh, that was while Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But not only that, but he kept, he stayed with her. And when the angel said, take the child and go to Egypt, they went to Egypt. He obeyed. He identified with Mary. He identified with her, quote, illegitimate son. And he was willing to give his life to be with Mary. And uh, the reason I'd like to talk with Joseph is that, you know, we don't really hear much about Joseph after that. And tradition has it that Joseph was 60, 70 years old and Mary was a teenager. That may be true, but maybe the Lord called him home. We're not sure why we don't read about Joseph later in life. But we do know that here in Luke chapter 2, he identified with Mary. He was willing to serve God's purpose as as Jesus' father. He was there when he was 12. We know that. But he was willing to identify with Mary, with Jesus, and to fulfill the promise, fulfill the very thing that the angel had come to talk to him about. Do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, it said. And Joseph was willing to do that. And it's, it stands for us that sometimes God calls us to do things that, in a sense, don't make sense. To, some, to us to identify with some things that people don't look at, at uh, uh, very pleasantly. And we'll possibly look at that maybe a little bit later here as well in the message with a common normal day example. So we have Mary, we have Joseph, and I think thirdly, just what we've been talking about, together they fulfilled his purpose. Together they filled his purpose. Yesterday we attended the uh, wedding of uh, my niece, Hosanna, and Mel. And uh, it was just good to see that I believe that the Lord is using them to serve him better married than what they could single. And so I believe that's what the Lord has for us. And when you come to the point when you can serve God better married than you can single is the time that you uh, can can follow through with that. So we have those three, Mary, Joseph, and together. But look at verse 15. We have also, oh, it started before that, that uh, the uh, verse 8 where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock and the angels came. 
But verse and told them about Jesus. And then verse 15 it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. They didn't say tomorrow. They said now. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. They hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, so they were there and they saw it and they observed what what the angels had said, that the Messiah was coming. (coughs) But I love what it says there in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it, they couldn't keep quiet. They told people, you know what, the Messiah's born. He's here. He's... And and all they that heard it wondered about these things. Is this really true? Is this really what happened? Is this really coming? Is this the time that we've been waiting for? And tw- verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now sometimes God fulfills His purpose by our praise. By what we say to others, by what is enjoyable, what we love to preach about, what we love to talk about, what we love to say, what is the comes from the bottom of our heart. Sometimes God fulfills his purpose by that. The most important thing in your life, what is it? Seemed to me that that's what the shepherds were waiting for. It was fulfilled and they couldn't keep quiet out on the hillside, rejoicing, glorifying, praising God trying to sing like the angels, whatever they did out there on the hillside, I'm not sure. But they were glorifying God. God's purpose for their lives, I believe, was totally different than what Mary and Joseph had to have, the quiet acceptance of something that didn't look quite right to man. The shepherds were glad, and they enjoyed that. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we see that they enjoyed and loved what God was doing. They appreciated what God was doing. Who else appreciated? Who else was doing His purpose? We go down further in the chapter, and it says um, that uh, in verse uh, 22, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opened the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now can you imagine Joseph and Mary, with the marriage that they had, the son that they claimed was the son of God, coming to the Jerusalem for a purification. Now you'd almost think that this might have been a traumatic time for them to go to the temple and to take care of what they were commanded to. What did Mary think? Finally it's fulfilled. Or did she think, what are they going to say? I don't know. You know, we have a scripture, and I can't point it, but it says Mary pondered all these things in her heart. I don't know, was she looking forward to going to the temple or wasn't she? I hope my imagination doesn't get me into trouble, but I hope it helps us understand where these people were with the Lord as well. Was she apprehensive? Were Joseph and Mary apprehensive on taking this child to the temple? 
Or were they glad that this is a place of refuge? I think the Lord took care of that. Because look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. Serving God's purpose. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit, capital S, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms. What was Mary feeling? I don't know. But he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And I believe now, verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now they could relax. Simeon was there, confirmed that this was the Messiah, confirmed to them that they were carrying a special child in the temple there, confirmed to them that here was a man that they possibly hadn't known, but told them who their son was. And they marveled, it says. But I believe Simeon was there serving God's purpose. I don't believe that this was the only time that Simeon talked about Jesus coming and the Messiah coming. I believed he talked about it to those that came to the temple as long as he visited the temple there. I believe he used to say, someday he's coming. I'm going to get to see him. God told me I will before I die. People said, ah, Simeon, just relax. You're old. You're getting senile. (laughs) No, he says, I know. God told me that I'm going to see the Messiah. Simeon, just relax, you know. And God kept his promise, and Simeon got to see him. And it says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall, and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And I think it's very significant that he says the fall and rising, not the rising and fall. He says the fall and rising. They had fallen far enough. Jesus had come to bring them to rise up again. The hope, the Messiah, the thing of salvation. Even though it seemed that his crucifixion was a falling, it was a rising. He says, This child is set for the fallen rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. He's going to have his conflict. Yea, a sword shall spierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So we have Simeon confirming to Mary and Joseph that they were following his purpose. How can we confirm his purpose in others around us? That's a question for you. The fall and rising of Israel. How can we help others? Simeon wasn't by himself. We have here in verse 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age. And had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. She might have been over a hundred years old, possibly. She was a widow of about fourscore, eighty-four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she is well confirmed to Mary and Joseph. 
She served a purpose as an old person within the congregation at the temple. And she talked to all of them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. It's probably some that didn't want the redemption. I think they heard her but didn't pay her attention. But Anna, I believe, fulfilled his purpose. So excited that she told everyone. So excited that she told everyone about the Messiah that was here. I wrote down here, these all fulfilled his purpose. How about us? Are we willing to suffer disgrace as Mary and Joseph? Are we going to go right away and tell others like the shepherds did? Are we waiting for the salvation of Israel as Simeon and Anna did? How are we fulfilling his purpose? How are we fulfilling his purpose? I have a writing here of John Kobolenses, and uh, um, I want to read it. It's called Pondering About the Birth of Jesus. And uh, as we all know, John, he's a uh, deep thinker. And uh, I hope that this stimulates our thoughts as well. Pondering about the birth of Jesus. Jesus' birth is special to all of God's people. We talk about it, hear sermons about it, and rejoice in the wonder of God taking on the weakness and limitations of a human baby. The Son of God did actually come in human form. When Mary experienced the miraculous conception, the visitation of angels, the birth of this wonderful son, and the testimony of the shepherds, the Bible tells us she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that is in verse 19 of Luke 2. Wise people have been pondering these events ever since. Are you wise? Wise people have been pondering these events ever since. So my question to you, are you wise? This season, as I was thinking again about how Jesus was born into a human family, my pondering took a different turn when an odd question popped into my mind. What if Jesus would have been born into our home? What if Jesus had been born into our home? And it's an interesting question, isn't it? Ponder with me as you think about your own home. Would he have flourished under my parenting? Would he have grown up admiring my values? Would he have been nurtured by the reading material in our home? Would he have enjoyed our family recreation? Would he have enjoyed our family supper discussions? Would he have found personal acceptance? Would he have received adequate appreciation and encouragement? Would he have felt my irritation at his childish limitations? Here's a good one. Would he have been nurtured by our family worship? Would he have received my attention for his questions? Would he have enjoyed the atmosphere of our home? 
What if he heard every word that was said? Would he have grown up hearing words of gossip, criticism, or bickering? Would he have been protected from harmful worldly influences? Would he have received enough of my time and attention? Would he have felt happy and secure in the love I showed to my companion? Would I have tried to hide any part of my life from his awareness? This, in a sense, is talking to parents, but I'm going to extend it. What if you were his brother or sister? Would my exercise of leadership have been easy for him to respect? Would I have been willing to take the time to teach him how to read, how to use a hammer, how to make a paper airplane, or how to plant seeds in a garden? Makes me ponder. If I knew that the Son of God had been entrusted to grow up in my home, is there anything about my home I would want to be different? Makes me really ponder. Jesus said, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. Makes me really, really, really ponder. In a sense, whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. I was challenged with those thoughts. Two practical modern day examples. Many of you knew Noah Bontrager. How many of you knew Noah Bontrager that passed away this year? Noah was a precious soul, wasn't he? Loved the Lord. Didn't hesitate to talk about it. Got the Menahoff newsletter uh, reunion. And uh, um, there's an article here that says roots that run deep. It's written by his daughter-in-law, Lois Bontrager. Up here it says, Noah Bontrager, Middlebury, Indiana, had agreed to share his CPS story at the October 30th Menohoff event, Serving God in Country, Then and Now. But he passed on to his eternal reward September 17th. Noah's daughter-in-law, Lois, agreed to write this article so that his story could be shared. Now for you young people, you boys on the second bench, you know what CPS is? You know what CPR is, but this isn't CPR. This is CPS. What does CPS stand for? Civilian Public Service. Service. Okay, I'm going to explain it to you. When the U.S. was at war, there were people like us that said, we're not going to war. And so the government said, we'll give you something else to do. And some of the things that they did was like dig ditches, and the other thing that they did was plant trees. And I don't know, did they plant the trees down here on the muck? Gary, do you know? Don't know. Could be. If you ever go down across the muck, it's, it's, um, you'll see, I guess there's still windbreaks down there, aren't there? 
Some? Not as many as there were, right? The muck is very light. It was a swamp at one time. The muck was very light, and it would blow away. You can still see that sometimes, the black clouds. And so to preserve the muck, they would take trees and plant them in rows as a windbreak. And so when you go down southeast of here, you'll see some of those skinny trees, and they're all leaning one way like this in a fence row, just a long line of trees. Especially when you go to Oklahoma, you'll see them. And in Kansas, you'll see them. Pardon? Tamarack trees? Thank you. And they would do different things like that. They would CPS camp, okay? And uh, some would work at hospitals. Um, Anybody here that was at CPS? We have the people that at CPS, we kind of have an age void here. Um, Or some of you had farm variances or something. So Noah went to CPS camp, okay? He did work like that. And uh, as we read this story, I want you to think about how Noah fulfilled his purpose. God's purpose. First of all, Lois is, is, is just looking out the window. As I look out my window, I see a large silver maple tree that towers above my home. It gently sways with the breeze and humbly bends to the wind. It is a tree that symbolizes the importance of putting your roots down and doing your job where you are planted. Around 70 years ago, this tree had been a deformed seedling that could not be used at the civilian public service. Sounds like Noah, doesn't it? He brought it home and planted it in the yard. Here's a maple tree that couldn't be used at civilian public service because it was deformed. Tree nursery where it had its beginning could not be used at the civilian public service tree nursery where it had its beginning. Rather than dispose of the little maple seed sapling, it was brought here and tenderly planted and cared for. Many storms had to be weathered, and the silver maple even survived the 1965 Palm Sunday tornado when five other trees in the same yard were uprooted and destroyed. It is not the most spectacular tree to look at, but it has done its job well. It has provided protection from the cold north wind, given shade from the hot summer sun, and helped clean the air we breathe. The third generation of our family has enjoyed these benefits from the strong maple tree. As I look out another window of my home, I see the place where my father-in-law, Noah Bontrager, lived. His life speaks of the importance of putting your roots down and doing your job where you are planted. August 28, 1941 is the date that went on the records... In the Bontrager family history, as the beginning of Noah's life-changing experience, that day Noah was uprooted from his northern Indiana Amish home and went to work in CPS camps for the next four years. You willing to give your four years for voluntary wages and uh, just serving the the uh, community because other the community the government is at war? It's what he did. That day, Noah was uprooted from his northern Indiana Amish home and went to work in CPS camps for the next four years because of his peace conviction and refusal to enlist in the war. It was a difficult time for many CPS boys. It was risky to travel by public transportation during the war years because there were some people who would ridicule and persecute those that were opposed to the war. Because he took a stand for what was good and right, 
Noah even encountered some conflict with a fellow worker at the camp. Years later, when he met this man again, Noah could honestly say that he harbored no ill feelings against him for the unkindness. It was during his CPS years that Noah put his roots down and his faith in God was nourished. Noah wrote in his life story, As much as we dreaded going to camp after the four years were done, I was never sorry for the experience. It was a growing time for me in my Christian life. In the year 38, I realized the need of committing my life more wholly to the Lord and became a part of His church. I was baptized that summer, which helped me realize the things in life that were even more important, and also that some of the things in the past were not important as far as Christ- in far as Christian growth. The CPS experience helped me learn more of the Bible and the importance of prayer and to live with other people and learn from them. I've thanked God many times for those experiences. It was in the Mederyville, Indiana. Mederyville? Okay. It was in the Mederyville, Indiana CPS camp laundry room that Noah poured out his heart to God concerning a needed partner for him and his brother's upcoming wedding. God answered clearly with a special young lady named Mary Miller, who later became his wife and mother to his six children. He related this story often with reverence. I can see him. He often related this story with reverence and gratefulness to God for giving him such a wonderful life companion. Probably was holding somebody's hand while he was doing it. Noah worked at three different camps, Dennis and Iowa, Bluffton, Indiana, Mederyville, Indiana. There was a special place in his heart for the people he learned to know at each of these places, and strong bonds of friendship were formed. Our family was deeply deeply touched when Dad's 93-year-old CPS friend, Eli Yoder, from Benton, Ohio, traveled to Indiana for Dad's funeral. What an example of commitment that runs deep. Like the silver maple tree, Noah put his roots down and fulfilled the purpose God had for his life. His CPS experience were a positive influence that continued to affect the rest of Noah's life and branched out to benefit the lives of many others, even to the third generation. For those of us that know Noah, it's very accurate. And a lot that's not written in this article of his love for God and his desire to go to be with him. After Mary died, he wanted to go to heaven as well. He wanted to go. And I just uh, was blessed by uh, Noah's testimony, and definitely one that uh, probably we wouldn't consider a great popular man, but definitely one that fulfilled God's purpose. If you want to know more about Noah, I don't know, are you related to him, Paul or Becky? No? Okay. He was just a precious, sincere Christian man. Oh, that's right. Ed's father-in-law. Calvin, I didn't know you were going to be here this morning, but here's another one that touches my heart. Your brother Marlowe some time ago, wrote his feelings down on paper. Edwin uh, Treva's son, Marlowe, has a business called J&M Rentals. To me, 
I don't know how he keeps 120-some rentals for people, but that's his business. Maybe you'll understand it a little bit as I read this. Been a landlord for over 10 years. I've been in every situation that you can think. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've been cornered by three to four others that wanted to take me down. I've learned so much about people in general that sometimes it scares me to see how they act and have no respect for other people's property and would do anything to try to get even because it is my fault that they are in the position that they are in and it is me that they're, it is because of me that their children don't have a place to live and don't have food to eat and that they can't buy Christmas gifts for their children. What has happened to society and the young people that they have no respect of man or people's property? I've had hardened criminals threaten to kill me and were right in my face and telling me how they were going to find me and do bad stuff. I really don't think people now now I don't think people know the half about being a housing provider. Granted, my places aren't fancy, but they are nice and clean, and it doesn't pay to fix them up really nice because all they ever have done is destroy the place that I have fixed up and made it look really nice. There are times I wonder why I'm doing this as a living. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the rental property business, but it's... Yeah, why do you fix people fix up houses to rent them out for people to tear them apart? Um, the disrespect that some of these things are is just atrocious. Roy Martin had thirty-five houses, and he enjoyed it, but none of his sons, not one of them, would have anything to do with it because they, they couldn't put up with it. Okay, I would do very well as his son then. <clears throat> Here is what I, know, I want to under, want you to notice. I do enjoy people, and I want them to have places that are a step above the rest. The housing provider, the only other person that does a very good job, is Blue Dot Dan. He's a great housing provider, and even he knows that there are times you wonder, how can people be so hood and ghetto and would rather shoot you than be reasonable about life? Out of all this, I am thankful that God has blessed me with so much. And for the upbringing that I've had, all I ask is God give me the strength to be a testimony to the people so they can see the difference without me telling them. This is my story, J.N.M. Reynolds. Pray for Marlo. His life isn't easy. His family isn't what he'd like it to be. So pray for him and his wife and their family, that God would continue to honor his, requ- his desire to follow him. I've read those two stories as modern-day examples of people that sometimes just do where they work, where they're placed. And I know as some of you have written and as you have said, that it's probably not so much where God wants us but that we be available for God and that we serve Him where we are at. I've written down our greatest ability is our availability. Our greatest ability is our availability. Do we fill our place where we are at? 
Do we do what God calls us where we're at? One more thing. Oswald Chambers, in his December 18th reading, has a um, thing, and as Oswald can, he draws us to Christ, he draws us to God. And uh, let me read this. Loyalty to Jesus Christ is the thing that we are stick at today. We will be loyal to work, to service, to anything, but do not ask me to be loyal to Jesus Christ. Many Christians are intensely impatient of talking about loyalty to Jesus. Our Lord is dethroned more emphatically by Christian workers than by the world. God has made a machine for blessing man, and Jesus Christ is made a worker among workers. Let me explain that a little bit. The idea is not that we do work for God, but that we are so loyal to Him that He can do His work through us. Let me read that again. The idea is not that we do work for God, but that we are so loyal to Him that He can do His work through us. He uses us to do His work. It's like as if Jesus said, I reckon on you for extreme service with no complaining on your part and no explanation on mine. God wants to use us as he used his own son. Let me read that again. I reckon on you for extreme service with no complaining on your part and no explanation on mine. God wants to use us as he used his own son. Let's let him use them. I don't know where you're at and the questions that you have about life, but you can relax in the fact that as we yield our lives to God and say, here, use me, here am I, send me, that we can find peace and contentment. Let's kneel for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we have looked at examples in Scripture. We've looked at modern-day examples. And we pray, Lord, that You would touch our hearts and help us to be in service for You. Lord, we've got all sorts of great ideas, what we could and would do. But Lord, we pray that You would help us to give them to You and say, Lord, we just want to be used where You put us. And Lord, sometimes it's a lowly and obscure corner where You put us to serve and to work for You. We pray that you would help us to have peace in that corner, to understand that that's where you want us to be, where you want us to serve, and that the outcome of it is for for you to take care of, not for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to accept that lowly place that you may place us. And, Lord, if it's a place of ridicule and misunderstanding like Mary and Joseph, If it's a place of praise and glory like the shepherds and Anna and Simeon, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to fulfill where you have placed us. But, Lord, we pray that we would be and would have in our dying day the testimony of faithfulness like Noah did. 
that people would give you honor and glory for what you've done in our life and not for us. Lord, we pray that this morning as we go from here, that our lives might be fully and dedicated to you and that we might be able to fulfill what you have placed in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would give us an understanding of that. Lord, we realize that confusion is from the devil. And he would like to confuse us whether we're in the right spot or in the right place at the right time and all of those things. But Lord, this morning we pray that your Holy Spirit would reign and rule in our hearts and would give us the peace that comes from having committed all to you. And we pray that that would be the experience of from the youngest to the oldest here. And that together we could give you honor and glory because of what Jesus was willing to do. And he gave his life for us so that we can enjoy salvation. And may we guard it in our hearts with all purity and holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.